am live. Or as they say in the movies, it's alive. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humor, Grief, and Grace. And I'm Deb Hart. And I think I am mostly solo today. Jill might check in. Jill is at a place with real palm trees, and it's not California. She is at a wonderful conference on Maui in Hawaii. And hi, Jill. I, I can feel the rainbows and the island breezes just for you. So today, um, I didn't have anything really scheduled as far as uh, what to talk about. I welcome any comments. Uh, you can post a comment down on the side or in, in the chat, I believe, and I'm gonna turn my phone on to get that also. I thought today, since I'm by myself, I'd talk about something that is not talked a lot about, but what is humor and grief? Where do you find humor in the midst of grieving? Where do you, what do you find funny? Are you allowed to laugh? Can you laugh afterwards? There's so many questions about, hmm, about appropriateness, when to, who with, all these things. So I thought I'd start a little easy and show a couple books I have that don't tell you how to, they just make fun of death. And um, they, they engage you. You know, sometimes you just need to laugh at what is most fearful, especially if it's not going on right now. So since I'm turning 65, and my friends, when I was 60, thought I needed some of these books. And one of them is called All My Friends Are Dead. And um, it's there's like cartoons in it. And some of the cartoons are My Only Friend Has Recently Gone Missing. And there's a sock. That's pretty sad, right? My only friend is the Sox. All my friends expired on Tuesday, and it's a gallon of milk. Sometimes that which we are most afraid of happening, it can give you, if only for a moment, some joy to, or some fun, making fun of what sometimes overtakes you. Grief overtakes you. Uh, grief in anticipated grief overtakes you. One of the things that I've had to learn to do, and yes, that is my trusty kitty cat, Oscar. One of the things that I have learned to do is sometimes just look at the moment almost like you would a pun or a word that has a double meaning. I like to say, especially if I'm working with Alzheimer's and dementia clients, that in fact, 
I can live in anybody's reality as long as I have enough breadcrumbs to find my way home. There was a gentleman in one of the long-term care facilities I was at and uh, you know, he didn't realize his wife was never coming to see him again. I believe she had died. I don't remember the circumstances, but she wasn't coming. But he asked about her often. And so the first time he asked, and I knew she wasn't coming, I turned to the staff and went, uh, what do we say? They said, tell her to go shopping. She went shopping. So each time, so that I wouldn't get bored, I would say, she has your credit cards. She went shopping. She'll see you later. And he would always forget. That particular instance taught me about the use of what's called therapeutic fabrication. Therapeutic fabrication means for the sake, uh, therapeutic sake of keeping peace, you lie or you don't tell the whole truth. And that's important to learn both as people who have aging parents and were told never to lie to their parents. This is a hard concept. If your parent or, um, or loved one, if you tell them, oh, don't you remember? That's a no-no because they don't remember, which causes more problems. So if you're going to have to lie to your parents, make it peaceful. Oh, so-and-so was visiting. Maybe their sister died five years before that. Oh, so-and-so is visiting um, another relative. They'll come by later. That is an okay thing to say because it gives your uh, aging parent with dementia or something like that, gives that to them a moment of peace. They are going to forget later. Another thing is, oh, I lost the car keys. Oh, okay, you lost the car keys. I'll find them in a little while. Why do you have to say, oh, don't you remember? You don't have to say that. You can live in their reality because it brings them peace. This happens a lot when people are dying. And I people will say, oh, is, you know, my brother coming? And you don't want to tell them that your brother's dead, right? So you say they're on their way or they're, they're, they'll be here soon. You, you can, that's called therapeutic fabrication. When for the sake, uh, therapeutic sake of keeping peace, you have to live in someone else's reality. On to another book that has just a little bit more humor. In dog years, I'm dead. So it's growing old disgracefully. I'll be turning 65. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and there's, there's all sorts of things uh, 
in here that are humorous to people that are feeling, hmm, I'm on the other side. I'm on the way out. I am not in the, on the way in. So one of them is my memory is not as sharp as it used to be. Also, my memory is not as sharp as it used to be. When you can poke fun at yourself, self-deprecating humor, for the sake of finding your balance, what a gift. What a gift. Um, here's another one. Whiskey really does improve with age. The older I get, the more I like it. So that is another way of just approaching things that you might be pre-grieving. Some people pre-grieve their own death. And I don't mean like they have a disease. They just are aging. And that can cause consternation, grief in those individuals. Uh, quite frankly, I know I had... I have been feeling a little trepidation about turning 65 because, and only because, my own mom died six months after she turned 65. So I don't mind saying to all of you out there in Facebook land, I've been a little wiggy. It's a little hard to take in. And um, I have to remind myself, you're healthier than your mom. You are uh, more playful. You take meds, you know, things like that. And I was feeling alone in it. And I said something to my husband. And he said, well, that's how I felt when I turned 60. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and he says, I'm telling you now. <laughs> and that's because his dad died at age 60 years. And uh, Daryl's 71 right now. And uh, his dad, of course, smoked cigarettes and wasn't healthy, didn't take care of his teeth. Daryl doesn't smoke. All these other things happen. So I say to you, as you start to go down that road, and you might, as in pre-grieving, you know, as you go down that road, take a breath. See what's different. Make yourself laugh. I'm, I'm a Big Bang Theory and uh, a watcher as well as friends. I love that show. I also know not to compare myself to Jennifer Aniston because I, I don't look like that. And I never will. And now that I'm 65, I don't want to. I probably look more like Chandler, you know? Thin, heavier, thin, heavier. That's all I got to say. And maybe in personality, I could be a little bit more like a Penny, combination of Penny from Big Bane Theory, and maybe even a little Sheldon. Who knows? Other people see me differently. Another book that I really appreciated when I read is called my Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolt Taylor. And this was a uh, neuro, neuroscientist that had 
major stroke and had to relearn a whole bunch of body functions. But there was one part that she talked about in it and they talked about self-talk. And one of the things is she started to congratulate her cells for their successes and realizes that enlightenment is not a process of learning. It's a process of unlearning. So what does that mean talking about grief? Grief is a process. And people like Jill, people like myself, who help you go through, walk through that process. And in that process of grief, we have a lot of examples that are healthy and unhealthy, right? You know, uh, unhealthy would be the way my mother grieved my dad, right? Uh, as far as her telling us, her children, let's think of dad like, uh, like he's away for a long time on a hunting trip. And I'm thinking to myself as a 14-year-old, he ain't on a hunt trip, Mom. My mom did the best she could with the way she was taught from her parents. So it's a process not only of walking through something that is uncomfortable, more than uncomfortable. You feel like you're going to just die yourself. And in fact, sometimes in grief, you wish you were dead too. That's perfectly normal. But that's not for everybody. Not everybody thinks like that. Some people move forward in a, or I won't say, you're definitely not walking through any stages. Let me just say that. But you're walking this path that sometimes goes like this, sometimes like this, sometimes up and down. Who knows? But while you're walking, not only are you learning new coping skills, you're also unlearning certain things. How can you laugh at a time like that? What's funny about that? Well, you could be at some point, I think I'll take a breath now and make that sort of a running joke or gag with yourself. For every 10 steps, I'm going to take a breath and you're going to sigh and you get to do that. And friends that love you and support you and understand the grief process, you know what they'll do? They'll go, ah, time for your breath. <sighs> That's what a friend does. Takes you where you are in the moment and is willing to sit with you for a little. Sometimes friends get impatient and they want to tell you a joke. And that may or may not make you feel better while you're going through your grief. Let's see what else we got back here. Ah, probably more than learning about Kubler-Ross in the 80s and learning about death and dying 
in uh, working with AIDS patients and sort of being uh, self-taught in the field of nursing while my patients were dying. At least here in the Midwest, back in the late 80s and early 90s, there wasn't a lot of hospices here in this area. There was uh, Jan Shepherdson, who has since died. She was a hospice nurse, and I felt that sacredness coming from her, and I said, I want to be like her. And here I sit in 2021, a little bit different, but thinking. But another person that really influenced me and his book is Alan Klein, The Courage to Laugh. And Alan was on our broadcast um, a while ago with Jill and myself. And one of the parts of his book, and I'm, I'm going to read this to you, is from Bernie Siegel. And people who have different dis-ease processes, whether it's anything from fibromyalgia to lupus to uh, multiple sclerosis to name your disease. This is what Bernie writes. I was talking to a group of people who had multiple sclerosis with associated bladder problems. And I mentioned to them that they had a, that they had a gift or benefit. Whenever you walk into nursing homes and hospitals, you always see triangular signs reading wet floor. I asked them, how many times have you ever done it? I haven't changed their bladder or their neurological condition, but I have changed their view of the world so that they no longer see their affliction as terrible and they can begin to laugh once in a while. Humor as a pun and seeing things just flipped. When you see wet floor, it could also be wet pelvic floor. It could also mean, wow, at least I didn't contribute to that wet floor. So there's different things you can say and do to just reframe or flip the way you think of things. Um, not a lot of people know I had had a stroke. I didn't even know I had had it till I had a brain MRI. Um, I knew I had a terrific headache and I knew I passed out from the headache. I knew I was walking a little wonky before the headache, but I thought it was just a headache. When I woke up, all my limbs moved and everything, so I didn't think anything of it until down the road when the... Uh, the doctor said, when did you have this large stroke? And I go, what? And I look, and there is a quarter-size gray area on my MRI. The first thing I did to celebrate that I had survived a stroke is I go, wow, look, my arms move when I direct them. My legs move. I need a bicycle. So you celebrate these little things that make you feel good. They, they celebrate who you are with what you got. 
um, when other people, now uh, Jill has been open about this. Jill has often said, you know, talked about, you know, she's had COVID and she's a, a long hauler. And this was before COVID was even talked about a lot. And so she talks about being able to breathe. And every once in a while, she makes a joke, I can breathe. And she can take a breath in. When you are in grief and you've had a loss of any kind, at least for a while, you can feel grateful and make yourself smile. How do you do that? How do I do that? Well, once again, um, in uh, a story I tell of when I realized I could no longer have popcorn. And this was a big grief moment, not because I have to eat popcorn, but it was a ritual I loved to do watching TV, especially with my grandkids and eating popcorn. So I was, I started to cry right there in CVS when I realized I couldn't have popcorn. Now my very creative husband said, you love rituals. Why don't you make a ceremony so that you can grieve your popcorn? And I uh, said, I stopped crying and I went, he goes, yeah. Why don't you have a cremation story? I mean, cremation ceremony. You could throw popcorn into the fire and you can have the last pop. I did that, complete with jokes, a couple good friends sitting around the, the fire talking about good popcorn stories. And I had a ceremony so that I could mourn my loss, both really feel it in my heart and do something else that would make me laugh. Another story is when I, um, I had a hysterectomy when I was like 41 and I realized I am going to be losing something that housed a child. I, I felt very attached to my innards. So I did two different things to celebrate at work because I was going to be taking six months off, uh, six weeks off. Someone made me like one of those gingerbread cakes and they also know me very well. So if I say something to you that's shocking that you wouldn't like, remember it was for me. So they made me a gingerbread cake only Everything was red inside. They made it look, I had uh, curly hair, some earrings, and they stuck a speculum in between my legs. That became the cutting device to get the cake. You might say that's disgusting. But then I made a cheese ball in the shape of a uterus. No, you didn't do that. Yes, complete with fallopian tubes that were um. Um, green onions, you know, with the little things hanging down. Mm -hmm. And I wrote um, for my cheese ball in the shape of a uterus, 
I had bread there and I didn't think it worked. I should write eat me. So I wrote bon appetit. Doing self-deprecating humor when you feel sad, you find you just lift yourself up. You lift your heart up just for a moment to feel better. And that's where humor can come in. Because truly, it's all about you. It's all about how you feel, nobody else. There will be people who disagree with you and your sense of humor. You know what? It's not about them. If they want to grieve their uterus their own way, so be it. On top of making fun of and sharing a, a uterine cheese ball, I did two other things. One, and I was really grateful my minister at the time would do this. I wrote a sincere goodbye letter to my uterus and anything else they were taking out. Thanking it, having gratitude for being in my body and letting me give birth to a child. I thanked my uterus for many things. And then when they brought that body part out, my minister got to read it. And apparently the nurse was crying behind her mask and uh, word got around. I also had another scar there. So not to be undone, you know, sort of to balance the, the bitter and the sweet. I, <laughs> I took a surgical marking pen and wrote, because I had another scar, I wrote cut here. And a couple days later, the uh, surgeon said, I couldn't write what I want because it's probably illegal. And uh, she didn't want to write oops, but she knew she shouldn't do that. Another friend of mine, as she was going through uh, uterine cancer, she had the doc during surgery play from the Bee Gees, Staying Alive. Because some people get their sense of balance and integrity with humor. And it, it changes, I'm, I'm going to not talk woo-woo, but it changes the vibe, the energy around things when you can laugh with your heart and engage others. That's just really important. So... However you look at your situation, whether it's an aging issue or it's someone has died and you're grieving, and then out of the corner of your eye, gentle humor, you might see a rainbow. And you'd say, that's for, I remember saying that, that's for Roger. Another thing you might say, when my mom died and we had balloons at the gravesite and a big gust of wind got them all stuck in a tree, I said, oh, just like Shirley, a little stubborn to leave. Or maybe you're not able to do that, but you have another way that works only for you. And you don't have to worry what other people think because it's about you and your grief. I hope that gave you some information today on how to incorporate some humor 
in your life when you're going through a really rough time. I miss Jill. I'll see her next week. Be well. And everybody, take care. Look for some humor. And be kind to yourself. Bye-bye.